You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, an MBTA board-certified criminal law specialist, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and renowned trial lawyer, Bill Powers. Family law matters are one of the most queried inquiries on Google. That's understandable given the divorce affects at least 50% of all married couples. It doesn't matter if you're from San Francisco or the great state of Mecklenburg or whether you're a person of faith or non-believer. Divorce affects more than one half of all marriages or more in the United States. The Google inquiries regarding child custody, child support, visitation, and the related disputes are off the chart in part given the complexity and sensitivity, if not emotional aspects of such legal issues. The purpose of this particular topic on Law Talk is to explain big picture ideas, hopefully explain the process and the logic behind the law and how things actually work in court. Sometimes we agree with the laws and sometimes, frankly, we don't. It's a good idea to set forth from the outset some general thoughts about the content that you're about to hear. First, it's okay if you have questions. In fact, it's a good idea to predicate big decisions on information. You're not a bad person if you're thinking about divorce or how divorce may affect you. It's also okay to gather information and decide to do nothing. Good decisions often involve good information. Second, when it comes to family law issues involving separation, divorce, equal distribution, child support, and alimony, do not rely on anecdotal evidence or advice. While often well-meaning, the information provided by friends and family is all too often flat out wrong. In some instances, following the advice of a friend or family member can cause long-term, extremely adverse consequences. What worked for your best friend's sister's cousin likely is completely inapplicable to you, your family, and your individual needs and concerns. Third, as a result, while we may be going over some pretty complicated material today on Law Talk, each case is different. You and your legal issues are truly unique. If you have questions about what to do, talk to a lawyer. Schedule a formal consultation. You, your life, and your family deserve the attention of a dedicated family law attorney. Fourth, expect to pay a legal fee for legal advice. There is no one-size-fits-all precept in family law. You're not going to solve a complicated legal issue with a five-minute conversation over the phone. There are possible conflict areas. Lawyers have to gather information to conduct a conflict check. A lawyer's stock and trade is their time. Don't confuse a consultation with legal advice. They are separate and distinct. Lawyers generally aren't going to be willing to give specific legal advice, assuming the legal liability for such, unless they know the background circumstances and the facts. And the facts. My guest is, in my humble opinion, one of the best family law attorneys in all of North Carolina. She's well-versed in the law, compassionate, hardworking, competitive, detail, detail-oriented, and wicked smart. She's also a friend and someone I respect both personally and professionally. Today, we are joined by attorney extraordinaire Tanya Grazier-Smith. Good morning, Tanya. Good morning, Bill. It's good to see you and it's good to be here. I always enjoy talking to you about all of the different things, law and legal, and um, looking forward to our chat today. Well, great, great. Well, let's jump right in and um, let's talk about one of the most widely, I think, misunderstood areas of family law, given um, even among divorce lawyers in Charlotte, and that's contempt. Uh, there's civil contempt, criminal contempt, motions to show cause and things like that. Uh, you're a board-certified specialist in family law. Do you agree with me on that? 
Yes, I do agree with you that it's um and it's an issue that is misunderstood by the public, um, is misunderstood by many lawyers, and is also misunderstood by family lawyers um, who are trying to use it for their clients. Right. Well, and um, you know, I think personally, and and again, I'll, I'm going to defer to on you on this, but I, I think there are a fair number of people, and it's not an intentional thing that there's just a a fundamental um, misapplication of certain types of contempt, particularly in, in, in Charlotte. Um, and maybe we can back up a little bit and, and have you kind of define and explain some of the common terms that divorce lawyers use. Um, we do use a lot of abbreviations like ED, which stands for equitable distribution, and PSS, which stands for post-separation support, and Quadro, and Rule 11, and Chapter B, or 50B. So, um, so can you kind of tell me... Now, what is, what is a motion to compel? What is a motion to show cause and contempt motions? What generally is that in, in family court in Charlotte? So first of all, let me, let me backtrack a little bit and talk about how you get a court order. Um, you get a court order by either agreeing with the other person on the terms to resolve your matter. Mm-hmm. And you ask a judge to sign off on that quarter court order that's commonly called a consent order, mm-hmm. meaning that both of you all consented to what was going to be in there and what terms were going to govern you going forward. Um, specific with family law, what terms are going to govern your children? Um, what custody schedule are you all going to have? What child support amounts are you going to have? Um, when is that child support going to be paid? Is it going to be paid weekly? Is it going to be paid monthly? Um, which parent's going to pay it? So it's all of the specific terms of what rules you're going to play by going forward. Um, When it's by consent, like I said, you agree to those terms. When it's not by consent, the way you obtain it is you have a trial Mm -hmm. and you present one side of the case. The other spouse presents the other side of the case. The other party presents the other side of the case. Um, And then the judge determines what the judge uh, finds to be as factual Um, in listening to both sides of that story. And the judge then applies the law to those facts that the judge finds to be true. And then the judge says, and this is what you're going to do going forward. Here's your directives. Here's your instruction. Here's your rules and guidelines, or I shouldn't say guidelines, but your rules going forward that you have to adhere by. So you get this order put in place, and this says, this is what you're going to do. So contempt comes in when people don't do what they're supposed to do, or they have an interruption of court proceedings that causes problems in the judicial system um, being correctly operative and um, respected. Mm -hmm. That's a great way of putting it. I love that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's just, I love the idea idea of... uh, because we don't, you know, you think a summary or contempt, criminal contempt in court if someone shows out and says something inappropriate to the judge, you don't realize that the effect or the um, the thing that we address is the not following the decorum or following the court. And so that can apply in in, in a genre where it's the first time you met the judge, actually, or, or second time, maybe, as the case may be. Right. Right. Agree with that. Agree. Well, so, fine. and I'm sorry to interrupt you because you were on a, uh, it's, no, a really no good, it's a really good point. Uh, but I guess my question for you is by consent orders, can there be, or without a consent order, can there be a contempt proceeding? 
there can be a contempt proceeding if the order is by consent mm -hmm. or if the order was achieved by having a trial and a judge making the order. So what you have to have is just simply an order. And that's the directive of what you're going to do going forward. Um, so contempt comes in in kind of um, one way initially. If we're talking about civil contempt, there's two types of contempt. Mm -hmm. We're talking about civil contempt is when we have that order in place and somebody hasn't done what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, they haven't done what is directed in the order. Um, and that's a problem. They haven't paid a certain amount of money. They haven't delivered a piece of property to the other person by a certain time and date. They haven't signed a document that's required in their order. They haven't done something that they've been ordered um, to do. So civil contempt comes into play when you need to get somebody to do what they're supposed to do. They need to either fix it, pay it, start doing what they're ordered to do right away. Mm -hmm. What happens, and, and I think we see this more on the front end of cases where uh, someone will come in and say, you know, they, they won't allow me to have uh, access to my child. They, they took the child and can I, can I have the judge held in contempt? I mean, this is before, there's no consent and there's ostensibly been no pre-existing order or orders. Um, is contempt available then? No, it's not because the, the order is missing and the order is the intricate part that's needed um, there first when we're talking about civil contempt. Now, I'll, I'll take that as an opportunity to kind of distinguish criminal contempt because cr criminal contempt, um, there's not a requirement of an order to be in place, an or order be violated, um, an order that's not complied by. Um, criminal contempt is interruption of the appropriate court proceedings and criminal contempt can also be you're going to be punished for doing or not doing that stuff you did or didn't do. Um, so think about, you know, cursing, cursing out the, the judge in, in the middle of the courtroom. That's going to be a disruption of the court proceedings. Um, and that's not something that the judge can allow to um, have court take place. Um, think about if um, you've got something we'll get in. Actually, let me jump to you, Bill, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit the custody stuff in just a little bit. Okay. No, it's great. Cause actually you were, uh, I think you were going to kind of go in and, and distinguish between the criminal and civil contempt and motions to show cause. Uh, Cause I think we, we see a lot of motions to show cause. And basically that means you, you're asking a judge um, to say, unless you defend yourself against this, you should be held in contempt of court. That's what a motion to show cause is, meaning that you should come into court and show cause why you should not be held in contempt. And I think we see a lot of filings for criminal contempt, which really should be civil contempt filings, and that criminal contempt is generally used more for one thing than another. Is that is, I mean, it's a gross oversimplification, but what do you think about that? I think, I think we really have to look at what is the problem um, and kind of start there. Um, if you've got an order and you've got somebody that's not doing or not doing something that they're supposed to do um, pursuant to the order, then you want them to do what they're supposed to do or have them stop what they're not supposed to be doing. Um, and so do we want to effectuate kind of a change of behavior right now going forward 
um, if, if that's the purpose of what we're trying to do. Um, whereas we've got criminal contempt, which, you know, you can actually kind of deduct by the, the name of the game, criminal, is you're going to just straight up be punished for something that you did or didn't do. Um, we're not trying to get you to start something. We're not trying to get you to stop something. We're going to find out if you did or didn't do it. If you did, then you're going to have a punishment. And that punishment is usually jail. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there are several different, I'll call them hotspot areas. I don't know uh, how you refer to it in your practice. Uh, being perpetually late and dropping off a child or children, uh, not paying child support on, in, a, in a timely fashion or not paying the uh, specified amount um, or missing a major holiday like Christmas or Thanksgiving um, or maybe speaking ill of the other parent and kind of subverting that relationship or just flat out not following the, you know, what's been agreed upon regarding where a child would go to school or doctors they see. Kind of break some of those down if you would and what, you, what your thoughts are on that. So, so we go to the point of, are we trying to get somebody to comply with the existing order to do what they're supposed to do that's already written out? Or are we trying to punish them for something that they've done? And, and that's kind of the, the simple way that I break it down is, is we're trying to get them to comply and get back on track. Or are we trying to just punish them for the misbehavior in the past, essentially? And so when we break that down to um, let's start with custody. We've got mom and we've got dad and mom fails to, to drop off um, the children to dad's house. Um, if mom has done that intentionally, dad can um, pursue um, civil contempt or criminal contempt. Um, civil contempt would be if mom has, does not drop off the kids ever, ever, ever again. And dad wants to comply her to um, do what she's supposed to do under the order, which is drop off the kids. Now, dad could also seek criminal contempt. Um, Let's say she didn't drop off the kids one time, but then thereafter continue to drop off the children. So it's not an ongoing problem, but there was a problem in the past. So in that situation, you can see criminal contempt and you can punish for the failure to abide by the order that one time in the past. Um, do you see the difference how essentially ongoing versus um, kind of a one-time deal um, is, is one of the major distinctions between the civil and the criminal. Now, let's not be confused here. When I talk about criminal contempt and being punished, you know, I mentioned earlier, that means going to jail most of the time. Um, civil contempt also has um, the penalty of going to jail. The difference is, is civil contempt because we're trying to comply somebody to get back on track is that they are locked in jail until they get back on track, until they fix the problem that they've had. Um, lawyers commonly use the term, they hold their own keys to their jail cell. They're able to unlock themselves from their jail cell anytime they want by doing what they need to be doing from the beginning. Sure. Now, when we contrast that with criminal contempt, criminal contempt is just the straight up punishment, meaning you're going to be punished. You're going to be put in jail for a certain number of days and you're going to be in jail 
for that certain number of days. And that can be up to 30 days per um, bad act. Um, so if there's one curse word at the judge, that could be 30 days. If there's another curse word at the judge, that could be an additional 30 days. So those can also comp compound pretty quickly if there's um, a problem that breaks loose. And by the, for the record, I think you and I would both agree that it's not a good idea to ever do that, let alone <laughs> repeatedly. And I've seen it no, happen. No, I've seen it, it happen. It's, it's the easiest and, and probably the most animated example right. that we can use right. for, for criminal contempt. Right. Um, so it's an easy illustration. Right. And um, go ahead. If we put that in the frame of um, child custody, let's say there was three times that mom didn't drop off the children to dad. So that could be 30 days plus 30 days plus 30 days for each act mm -hmm. of defiant behavior there. Well, there is a, um, in my mind, in, in seeing how judges operate in court, um, there's a reluctance to, in every instance, even if a technical violation, to find someone in contempt. There's a, there's a learning process and... Um, Things happen, you know, cars break down, school lets out late and things like that. Um, and there is, a, there is a disparity, I think, even in the, amongst practitioners about whether or not you can, you can file for both criminal and civil contempt at the same time. I happen to believe that you should be able to because in some matters you're trying to remedy an ongoing problem in the future. And in other instances, you want to punish uh, for not... Um, following the court's ruling, I use the example of if you're perpetually late on dropping someone off two minutes late, five minutes late, you want to, you want in the future, it's not a major violation, but in the future you want to avoid that. But you miss Christmas or you miss a major holiday or birthday. That's not something you can get back. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Cause I, I know that in Charlotte, at least there is, when you file for these things, there is a preference. At least that's what I've been told. Um, <laughs> picking one or the other. So um, it comes down to what you want. Do you want to um, enforce somebody complying with the order and, and doing what they're supposed to do going forward? Or do you want to just straight up punish them for um, misbehavior of the past? And there is a specific um, statute in our contempt statutes that says you cannot be held um, in civil and criminal contempt for the same right, act. Right, right, right. So, you can now, now what's interesting bill there is is you can say for act one we want criminal and we want punishment for act two we want civil and we want compliance to be achieved going forward so it can be broken down between the specific acts but the acts themselves the individual cannot be held in civil and criminal contempt for the exact same act um, so sometimes there's an election of what are you trying to achieve um, I think the best illustration for that in what you're trying to achieve is with child support. Um, someone does not pay child support on time. Do you want to punish them and have them locked up um, strictly for not paying the child support on time? Or do you want to get the child support in hand? Do you want to receive the money? Which one is of more value to the, the pursuing person? Um, and in child support, I would argue you always need to get the money. So the way that you effectuate getting the money would be to use civil contempt um, and that that person is locked up until they pay, until they comply, uh, contrasted to a criminal contempt for them just being locked up and punished for non-payment, non but not actually 
having to then pay the money. Sure. What's the term called when you come into compliance? When you, when you compl- purging, purging. Contempt. Right, right. And that's only for the civil contempt. Right. Um, so, yeah. And yeah. so, and sometimes when we talk on these things, because it's not just people maybe looking for a divorce, it can be uh, newer lawyers or law students even. Um, you may hear, uh, and the Court of Appeals will, will refer to this in opinions, they'll say purge conditions. Exactly. Um, meaning what, what is it going to take for you to be in compliance of the, um, the recitation, of the, there's another term of art, the creedals of the court, meaning that the court decrees, um, you see an order is ordered, a judge and decreed, it's the court will make certain findings of fact and conclusions of law. And how do you, how do you purge the conditions of, of contempt? So let's, let's just use a real simple example. And I know each case is different, so I'm going to preface that comment, but I have two questions for you. Uh, first, do you think it's a good idea as a general sense for every technical violation to go in? Or do you try to at least work with opposing counsel or the other side? And secondly, um, what happens if someone perpetually is late and then uh, purges the condition two minutes before the hearing? How do you, how do you address that? Yeah, so the, so the first one is um, it's a discussion that you have with your lawyer. Um, you know, the first time that somebody's late to a pickup or a drop off, um, you've got to weigh the cost of attorney's fees. You've got to weigh your cost of time away from work to go to court. You've got to weigh um, the cost, the emotional cost on you um, to prepare for court and to be ready and present. Um, and generally, it's my opinion that if somebody's done it once, you know, the attorney's fees, the emotional cost, the time away from work um, doesn't outweigh um, the need to go forward if there's only been one problem. Now, if you've got a reoccurring problem over and over and over and over again, well, then your your cost um, benefit analysis is different at that point saying, well, you know, this is going to continue. And, and now that it's happened 27 times, um, you know, I need to take action because I'd like it to, to change going forward. Um, so I think that's part of the discussion that you have with your lawyer. And I think it's it's also part of the discussion about what is happening and can it be proven that it is happening? There's one component that is covered um, as a more of a nuance in criminal and civil contempt, and it's called willfulness. Um, and, and so willfulness um, you'll see addressed in both civil and criminal contempt is, you know, was the problem in the control of the person that committed the problem and had the problem? you know, mom was late to drop off the children to dad. Mom ends up having a flat tire. Um, she calls triple a triple a is backed up for two hours. Um, you know, mom finally gets triple a there, triple a fixes the tire and then mom, you know, continues to transport the children to dad, but it's three hours late. So was that intentional on mom's part that, you know, she ran over a nail somewhere in a construction zone and had no idea and happened to get a flat tire on her way to drop off the kids to dad? No, that wasn't willful. Was mom, um, now contrast that with mom says to dad, um, I know you need to leave by 2 p.m. for your vacation. I'm going to make sure that I drop off the kids at three o'clock so that you're late for leaving for your vacation plans because I'm mad at you. 
Now, those two are very different. The second one being that mom is willfully um, disobeying, you know, the court order. Um, the first one being that things were out of her control and her being late was not willful on her part. Um, so that's part of the, the detailed discussion that you have to have with your lawyer in breaking down what actually happened. Um, a lot of times with family law cases too, especially custody, um, things are harder to prove. There's more gray area. It's not totally black and white. Well, yeah. And, and I think you're bringing up a, a point. One of the questions I want to ask you, because I think there's a difference between a technical, you know, North Carolina family law law and how they're applied in court. And in fact, there are differences between jurisdictions, how something may be handled in Charlotte could be different than say Iredale or Union or even Gaston County. Um, and I, I sometimes think clients think that they, they think court is what I call my, my sixth grade math teacher, where it's the court's job to wrap people on the knuckles when they don't follow the rules. There is an inherent necessity of reasonableness and fair play. Um, and it's, and it clearly is in the best interest of the children is the overall, the court of appeals opinions called the, the polar star. Um, when, and there is a fair amount of counseling that goes on with clients, um, because it can get, it can get emotional. It can get, it, it, it just can get downright nasty sometimes. Cause you're like, I know this person is doing this just to hassle me. I know they were late cause they wanted me to miss my airplane flight or miss, you know, Christmas with this person. How, how do you balance it? I mean, you, men, you mentioned a cost benefit analysis, and I think that's important. And there is a financial aspect of things. And, and it brings up the secondary point. Can you get attorney's fees when you file these things? And what's your experience regarding how often those or if they're uh, awarded by the court? Yeah, and I'll, I'll backtrack just a little bit there on that question, too, is that conversation that you have with your lawyer about whether you have a matter of contempt or not. Um, is also a very real conversation in that, are you willing to lock that other, are you willing to ask a judge to lock that other person up? Um, you know, in family law cases, especially custody cases, child support cases, you know, you're asking the court to lock up the other parent of your children. Um, and that can have negative effects on relationships with the children that can have negative effects um, for co-parenting that can have negative effects for the ability to pay child support if someone is prevented from working because they're serving jail time too. So those are, those are some other factors that you have to have a, a detailed and deep conversation um, with your lawyer. Um, I think it's a great point. Cause I, I'm, I'm a, I went, there was once a judge in Charlotte who we used to say, well, your honor, if you lock this person up, they're going to lose their job and then you're not going to see any child support. <laughs> that is a, right. It's a commonly used argument sometimes to better effect than others. Um, and so for the attorney, the attorney fee portion of that bill, um, um, you know, if you'd asked me this question nine months ago when I was presenting on um, this matter in the format of a CLE, a continuing legal education um, class for our peers, I would have said you only can get attorney's fees related to civil contempt. Um, I've seen, now I have since seen um, attorney's fees also result in criminal contempt and there's been a little bit of a shift in the case law that now um, appears to seem to permit attorney's fees under both. Um, there, 
is always new case law coming out of the Court of Appeals. It's something that I would hope the Court of Appeals would draw a distinction and give us a little bit more of a bright line rule. Um, but functionally speaking right now, it seems that we're, uh, we're able to um, have attorney's fees awarded with both. That, like you alluded to before, is also, you know, varies from judge to judge and jurisdiction to jurisdiction, even though um, we're all operating under the same rules. There's different preferences um, that come out of the different jurisdictions. Well, and that, um, and I don't want to go too much over our time because I know you're very, very busy. Uh, but it brings up an, another point that sometimes legal disputes can be resolved by lawy lawyers working together. And in more than one instance, I know that I've gotten a call from an attorney and, I'll, and we talk things out. We can use the abbreviated lingo and abbreviations. And I call a client and I counsel them. Listen, this is what they're threatening. If you keep doing this, you're going to find yourself in court unnecessarily. This is how you avoid that. And so I think personally there's a reason they call us attorneys and counselors at law because part of our job is to explain to people, um, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily just hurting yourself or your wallet. You could be hit, you know, harming your children and, and the logic behind the court um, is such that you, you need to start following the agreement or the order. Now, there are other times where there's no reasoning with the unreasonable, <laughs> frankly. Um, how, what's, how do you see your role as an attorney? You've been doing this a while, and I think as you, you don't just suddenly wake up and become a specialist. It, it comes from living the life and walking the walk and talk, you know, talking the talk kind of as a, as a professional. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, kind of to piggyback on what you were saying regarding contempt and lawyers talking to lawyers, um, that's the the threat of contempt, and I know threat is a real negative word, um, but something like that being held over somebody else's head can be enough to effectuate chain with good lawyers on both sides of the case, having the right conversations and having the, the intellectual conversations about what can and cannot happen in court. And then, like you said, Bill, counseling their clients, you know, from that point forward, um, and because part, part of our job as, as lawyers is to help solve problems, not make problems. And, you know, we can go to court and try things all day long. And, um, you know, Bill's one of the best trial attorneys, you know, in the, in the state, if you ask me, um, and has traveled to what, all 100 counties? Not right all. I, I've been to, I've been to a lot, more than many, but not all yet. Um, I've, I've not tried a lot of cases in, uh, or if any, in the northeastern part of the state. Uh, okay. But I have almost I, all the counties. Well, I've been to I've been to Cherokee, and I've also been to New Bern. So, as the if you're from North Carolina, saying is from Murphy to Manio, there there I've been to a lot, uh, and there are preferences and protocols and local ways of doing things. One of the things we do in Charlotte that I actually like, which I think assists in this area, is that we tend to have one family, one judge, uh, and you know, you're not going to. Um, you're not, a judge is going to start seeing the same people in court going, you know, I, I remember this and I remember what you did last time. And I think that goes to level of intentionality and things like that. So, well, Tanya, I, I do want to thank you uh, so much for your time. And I do encourage people, if you um, have legal questions in, in Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, uh, Tanya, would you share your name of your firm and telephone number, how people may be able to reach you? Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, our firm is Grazer Smith, and we're located over on East Boulevard. The best way to reach us is to just pick up the phone and call us at 
and figure out if it's something that we're able to help you out with. And uh, if listeners have additional questions on family law, my hope is that uh, Tanya will be kind enough to continue to share her time. These issues are very complex. They're very intricate. They tend to be fact-specific. You can uh, email us uh, or give us a call um, at uh, Law Talk and uh, suggest ideas and topics and, and things of that. If you have a specific question about a case that affects you or legal inquiry, we do recommend that you retain legal counsel immediately. So thank you so much again, Tanya, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions on your time. Ready to discuss your matter now? Call 704-342-HELP for your free and totally confidential consultation. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented on this podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. Thanks for listening.